thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Our Bible reading today comes from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Thanks, Bev. And uh, Rhonda, thank you for leading us in prayer as well. It's uh, also nice uh, to have uh, Mike Jeffs with us, who's the uh, CEO of the Australian Christian Channel, staying with Rhonda and Work, and his wife is with us this morning. I don't think it's officially to check us out. They're just on holidays, but uh, it's lovely to have you here. Um, I'm going to be ducking off to uh, our Grace Point campus this morning, uh, right after this uh, service, so I trust that you will make them feel really welcome uh, this morning as well. It's uh, great to have all of you with us this morning as we continue to look at the, uh, the epistle, the letter uh, of James. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought much about the examples that are found in Scripture. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verse 11, Paul says to the Corinthians that these things, he talks about the Old Testament in this context, that these things happened to the people of Israel as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages have, has come. So the scriptures are given to us and filled with examples. Uh, but have you ever noticed how many poor examples there are? Has that struck anyone as odd? I mean, there are, there are lots of, you know, kind of giants of faith, you know, David and Abraham and whatnot, but uh, I don't have to kind of tell you that even those characters were a little bit or a lot flawed, do I? Uh, and when you get to the New Testament, the New Testament is filled with churches that are just messed up. Uh, did, you, did you hear the language that James is using about this church? Did, let, let, me just, let me just read the first couple again here. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. It's written to a church, not a terrorist organization. I mean, for crying out loud, you just all sat there and listened to it and went, oh, yes, the word of the Lord. Right? Like, this is just an amazing thing, isn't it? I always feel so much better when, about our church after I read the New Testament. I think, you know, listen, you know, we might not be perfect, but I haven't had to break up a fisticuff for a long time, and I can't remember religious violence causing a murder as long as I can remember either. So we're doing pretty well 
in relationship to what James is addressing here. And he is addressing some really serious internal concerns, isn't he? Now, this section that we're looking at, chapter 4, verses 1 to 10, begins in chapter 3 as I mentioned a few times, and essentially uh, he is focusing on these internal issues that have begun to cripple the church from uh, being able to do what they are called to do, which is to do the mission of God, to be uh, making disciples in the wider world. Uh, And the issues that he focuses on tends to kind of have two um, focuses, right? He focuses on the teachers, those who have influence and status and power in the life of the church, and then he kind of implicates the wider community and then focuses again on the teachers, and then he kind of focuses again on the wider community, in part because the teachers and their words and their actions are impacting the community, but the community seems to be empowering and enabling the teachers to do what they are doing. And again, let me remind you that James is not concerned with the content of their teaching. He doesn't accuse them of false teaching or of heresy. He's actually got something different in mind, their words and their actions and the motivations within it. And so these words are really quite striking. Language of fighting and quarreling, this idea of battling. And, and, and battling, you know, we say battling within you and we think about ourselves individually because, well, that's how we think about everything, right? It's all about me. So the battle is within me. But it's quite likely that the battle was also within you that James is, is talking about here. He talks about coveting, he talks about desires, he talks about killing. And I suppose we can just read that and go, oh, it's just all figurative, you know, it's just a bunch of figurative stuff. You know, Jesus, when he talked about murder, said that if you get angry at your brother, you've effectively killed him. So maybe James is just using a little bit of Jesus hyperbole and exaggeration to kind of, you know, make the point that he's trying to make at this point in time. But if you've ever read through the book of Acts, you know that religious violence was actually not very far beneath the surface. Have you you listened to what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians? Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 6 or a section of it to you. Because Paul is talking about his own hardships. Right? And so he talks about the fact that, you know, we put in chapter 6, verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distress, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, in sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad reporting good, uh, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live, beaten and yet not killed. Now some of that, you know, the stuff about love and the Spirit and stuff, we go, that's brilliant. Did you notice the rest of it? in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots. And when you think about how often that happened to Paul, I mean, Christianity hadn't even been around very long. No one knew what it was. If you'd filled in the Roman census, you would not have ticked Christianity in the religion box. It didn't really exist yet. There's a handful of believers and scattered across the Roman world, most of whom basically were Jews. This is this kind of There's this violence that's not against some historical religion or even some really significant challenger to their current faith. It was just bubbling below the surface. So, is it at all likely that religious violence had actually infiltrated the church? This is part of the question. 
So church may have been a little bit more chaotic than we ever would have thought in the community of faith uh, that James is addressing. And see, James has also already named the sources of this kind of behavior. In the first section, chapter 3, in the first 12 verses, he speaks about the tongue. And he talks about the hellish words that are kind of coming from these teachers. In the last section we looked at last week, he talks about the demonic actions that those hellish words that come from a divided heart have actually caused. Now, when you think about it, when you think about it, there are divisions and disagreements and disputes and debates in every church, aren't there? Anytime you get more than three people together, you're not going to get everyone agreeing on everything. It always happens. But, but how often have you kind of commented on a difference of opinion as demonic or hellish within the life of the church? Oh, we have debates. We have disagreements. I get that. I don't use the word fighting or quarreling or battling when I talk about the church. When people say, so how's the church? I don't go, oh man, we are at war. I don't even use it metaphorically. This is not where we're up to. Do you, get it? Do you get kind of what James is addressing here, though? And see, because James has named these sources as hellish words and demonic activity, bitter, envious rivalry to gain power and influence and control and personal comfort and pleasure, and the length of this section indicates how important it is. In five chapters, he's dedicated a chapter and a half to this issue. And as you'll see, he finishes this with one of the strongest calls to repentance that you'll find in the New Testament. Now, not only are they internally divided, which is quite evident here, but they are expending all of their energy internally. All of their energy goes into finding greater control and greater status and greater influence, getting things my way, making it comfortable for me. This is their focus, and they have no more energy for the mission that Jesus had left them. And in fact, James goes on to say, you may have heard this bit, that they are in danger of becoming the enemies of God. How long, James says, can you allow divided hearts? A heart that wants the kingdom of God, but also really enjoys the kingdom of the world. The heart that wants to love God and others, but also really wants to love self. How long can you allow a divided heart to lead to words and actions that divide the community before you get to the point where you are unrecognizable as a church? That's what he's getting at here. He doesn't pull a lot of punches, does he? He does not pull punches at all. I mean, imagine if I described this group of people to you and you weren't in church. So just imagine for the moment. You're sitting in your living room. And I described to you this group of people that I know. They're characterized by fighting and quarreling amongst themselves over power and control uh, and, and influence. In fact, it gets to the point where there's, like, you could say that there's battles within them. Like that might even be physical battles. They desire and they covet things and they get so bad that they get really angry with people or they're actually killing them. I'll let you to work out whether that's a metaphor or not, right? They, they, when they, they, they don't pray at all for the things that they want. And when they do, they pray for things like this. They pray. They actually go to God and say, would you give me greater influence and status and authority in the church so I can have things my way? They're called adulterous people. Maybe that's a metaphor. Let's only, we can only hope, I suppose, really. 
the very least, it picks up the idolatrous unfaithfulness of the people of Israel. They have become friends with the world and enemies of God. Now, if I read that description to you, would you think, oh, you're talking about the local Baptist church? Like, I hope not. I hope you wouldn't have any church in mind if I read that description out. You might think of the, I don't know, the Labor Party or, you know, like, you know, or any political party, really. There might be all sorts of groups that you can kind of go, if we make that all metaphorical, it certainly makes sense of certain groups of people. But would a church spring to mind? Well, for James, it's the church that's springing to mind. It's a church that is so marked by envy and rivalry and seeking after control that they are almost unrecognizable as a church anymore. This is what James is addressing. So their actions, James says, is revealing something about their faith. Remember, that's what he was, he's on about, right? You have faith? Show me. Show me. He says, now let me tell you what I see from what you've shown me. <laughs> You're living your faith out loud, all right. But essentially, you are so internally focused, motivated by worldly values, that you are ultimately eroding your identity as the community of faith. And this was read out loud in the local church. And, right. and so James's challenge then turns on this quotation of Proverbs 3.24 uh, in uh, verse 6. Just as an aside... The end of verse 5 is very complicated. Uh, you have textual notes. You should have at least two other options for how to translate that. I actually think that what was read for us out of this is, perha is perhaps one of them, or is one of them. I think the better one is actually to see this as the, the spirit that God has given to us is naturally um, biased towards envy, and yet God gives to us grace. In the midst of all of that, however, it turns on Proverbs 3.24 where James quotes, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Ultimately, James says, what this comes down to is whether or not you are proud. Do you think you've got it all sorted out? Do you think that it's all about you? And if you are in that position, you are opposed to God. But God shows favor to those who are humble. And this leads into this remarkable um, call to repentance. It's actually got a number of similarities with 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 9. Uh, they both talk about resisting the devil. They both talk about submission to God. Uh, it's both in the context of the overall leadership of the local church. And so this may be James's take on some sort of standard Christian teaching on repentance. Let me just kind of draw out a few things that James has to say here. He's got a series of 10 commands, which is very typical, you can say, of James already. And he begins it and finishes it with kind of the same theme. Verse 7 opens, submit yourselves then to God. And verse 10 finishes, humble yourself before the Lord. Right? Different Greek words, different English words, but the same idea. Uh, if God opposes those who are proud, and shows favor to those who are humble, then you ought to submit yourselves to the Lord, and you ought to humble yourselves before him. This is, these are the bookends of what he has to say. Resist the devil, he says, and then gives a promise that the devil will flee from you. Now, this tells us, first of all, that James believes that not only are words hellish, not only are actions demonic in the life of the church, but that that can be influenced by the devil. 
He doesn't kind of go on to explain much more beyond that. We have to kind of take the rest of Scripture to make some sense of it. But notice that he also believes that resistance is possible, that it is possible to resist those sorts of temptations that will lead to divisions and all the stuff that they're dealing with here. Uh, Then he uh, he says that they should come near to God and gives another promise that God will then come near to you. And this is language of the tabernacle and of worship, as are the things he follows up with about washing your hands and purifying your hearts. And notice he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, James talks about the division within our hearts, the division within our minds. We want the things of God, but we want things that are nice for us. We want to love other people, but we really want to love ourselves. Uh, We really want the kingdom of God to come, but we really kind of like the kingdom of the world in lots of ways. We really like the idea of being generous, but we really like the idea of not being generous. We are double-minded. We're divided people. He says, purify, simplify, uh, unify your hearts so that you can, when you come towards God, you can, you can submit to Him. And then he says these, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Wipe that smile off your face, he says. And notice that this is not a private, personal, internal repentance. Because that's how we read it, isn't it? Right? Oh, yes, I should repent. I should repent. I'll do that when I get home. Right? I'll find a quiet place and just me and God will have a little bit of a... be great. And this is a word to the community of faith. All of you, all of you, all of you, show me your faith. Repent out loud. Don't repent internally. Don't make it between you and God. All of you are called to this because of the significance of what he is charging them with. And you can, you can imagine how hard it would have been to hear this. Would anyone want to hear this? Do, do you want to hear it? Because here's the beautiful part about the New Testament and the the poor examples. We're better than that church, aren't we? Again, we're not perfect, right? I'll be the first to admit that. We don't have it all together by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, (laughs) we're we're better than that. Which lets us off the hook, doesn't it? Wonderfully lets us off the hook. If we ever get this bad, then we can bust out James 4 again and, and deal with it. And so we walk away from church this morning having learned some wonderful things about Scripture and it hasn't actually touched our hearts. But why don't we want to hear this stuff? How do we respond to this? What if I said to you that, you know, I've been reflecting a bit and I reckon that these are words for us. What would your response be? Oh, well, we're, we're not as bad as that. And, you know, yes, but, and we justify things and we explain things away. And we'd actually expose the root of pride, wouldn't we? That's, this isn't us. We don't need to repent. I know some people who need to repent like this, but not us. 
And all of a sudden, we place ourselves outside of the Word. Right? We're outside the Word. Looking in on it. No longer allowing it to speak to us. But where do we find ourselves in this text? Where do we find ourselves? And I think that there's, there's, it's, worth, it's worth us pausing for a minute and, and thinking. You know, the heart of what James is challenging them about is not just about the internal divisions and uh, the seeking after power and influence and all of those sorts of things, but that the church has become so crippled in their ability to reach out. So crippled in their ability to reach out. And I think here might be a place where, where we could pause to reflect. You know, one of the things that I have been reflecting on is how easy it is for us to become internally focused. It's real easy, isn't it? And, and, and you can see the easy, of, the easy connection. And we come together as the people of God and we support and we encourage one another. We, we practice on one another, right? We practice forgiveness and we practice love and we practice service. Uh, we um, teach each other from the Word of God and from our lives. We listen to one another as we pray together. We gather together to, to worship, be reminded about who we are. Um, all this stuff. But it's very easy for all of the things that we do as the people of God to stop with us. Well, let me put it this way. If we practice love and service and forgiveness with one another, why are we practicing? Are we just practicing so we get better at it? Or are we practicing so that we are more easily able to love and serve and forgive people that we encounter in our world? Why? 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 Why Why do we want to know about this book? Because we just always have? Or is it because we want to know this, that we are so familiar with the character of God, so attuned to His voice that we can hear Him when we're out, out in the noise? Why, why do we pray here? Apart to, to learn how to pray so that we can pray more effectively out there. Why do we equip one another to share our faith and to live our faith out loud unless it's to serve out there? Do you see how easy it is for the church all of our activities to stop here? We, we, we think about evangelism. We bring people into the church, and that's the end of it. Once they're in the church, it's done. That's not what we've been called to. Have we? Jesus said he'll grow his church, but we've been invited to participate with him in extending his kingdom. That's the end goal. And how easy it is for us to become focused on what we experience here, isn't it? And I need to acknowledge to you that over the last couple of weeks, I've realized, I think again, how I have fostered that. I've been, I've been challenged over the last couple of weeks. I'm not even quite sure how to put this into, into words, so let me have a bit of a crack at it here. I think that um, one of the things that gives me great joy is, 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 is preaching and teaching. I don't know if you picked that up, but I, like, I enjoy it. It's, uh, it's one of the highlights of my week. I, I, I love it. I love it. 
And yet I also realize that by the very virtue of doing what I feel that God has called me to do in this community of faith, I can give the impression that that's it. Come along. Come along. Man, you're going to love this. Do you have any idea how much fun James is? Our youth pastor talked about it as a punch in the face, but a good type. That's his description of of the book of James so far. Come along. This is great stuff. And how easy it is for me Without being exp- to not be, well, to not lead you into thinking that this is where it ends. I can foster an internal focus. You know, we're working away at systems and processes and structures, and you know what those are for. They're not just that we can do things better, it's that we can equip one another that we can get more people involved so that we can be more effective in the ministry. But how easy is it for you to think that GBC Links is just this wonderful thing for us to enjoy together and forget that what we're all about is actually about equipping us so that we can actually be more effective in mission? Because unless we are seeing people come to faith, unless people's lives are being changed by an encounter with Jesus, we're doing it wrong. And if anything that we do stops here, if anything that we do is just about our comfort or our enjoyment, we're doing it wrong, aren't we? And how long will it be before we are unrecognizable as a church of God? This is what's on the line. You know, I haven't had anyone come up to me this year and say how many people have come to faith. haven't had a single person come to me. No one's come to me and and expressed discouragement or disappointment that we've only had like two baptisms this year. Why is that, do you think? Do you see how easy it is for us to become so concerned and focused on us that we expend all of our energy on us and we forget why we're here. So perhaps this word is for us to wipe that smile off our face, to cause us to think again perhaps more deeply about how, hopefully in ways that aren't nearly as, as, as in your face as James is addressing, have allowed ourselves to become distracted from what we're actually on about as the people of God. And I don't want this to, I don't want this to be a guilt trip. I don't want this to be something that leads us down condemnation alley or lane or whatever they call it. I want this to be an encouragement to us a reminder of what we're on about and who we are and and why we're doing what we're doing, and to invite you and to to encourage you to join me in working out how we can get our eyes off of ourselves and back out there so that everything we do and everywhere we go, we'll invite people to follow Jesus and be changed by Him. This is James. It's good fun, isn't it? So having lobbed that little grenade, 
I'm going to go to Grace Point now and <laughs> allow you to repent and carry on. Now, let us take this message seriously. Uh, you know, we are as prone as James's original audience to an internal focus and an interest in our own comfort and whatnot to forget why we're doing what we're doing. We're as prone, and it's why, it's why this has been kept as the Word of God for us, because it speaks a powerful word to every generation of believers all over the world. 